Taya, how are you? I'm all right, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Lovely to, to see you. I know that we did our interview for Mentally Yours, like it was over a year ago. So yeah, I, I it wasn't willful. I just, I knew in my head I needed to organise this and I just couldn't get it together. So sorry that it's taken so long. No, no, no need to apologise. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't sort of, I don't feel like I sort of expect to appear on any other sort of things. It's, it's just nice to have a chat really. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, I know what it's like with organising guests and everything. It's yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to do, isn't there? Sort of behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. I guess this has come about because obviously I was interviewed by you and Ellen for Mentally Yours. Um, obviously, you're an award-winning journalist. You're. Um, are you? You're still at Metro currently? No, no, no I haven't been at Metro for ages. Actually, I'm freelance. Um, so I still make Mentally Yours for Metro. So Metro is basically sort of one of the people I work for. Um, now I've been a freelance for about five years now. Um, I think I did, I, we started off Mentally Yours. Um, I think I was at Metro for about, well, I was there for a few years, but we started at the podcast. I did that within Metro for a year, then I went freelance and then, yeah. Um, so now I mostly do um, podcasts, but also lots of stuff for the times that's a sort of regular gig for me um I write sort of travel stuff for the times and I do sub editing for the times and for other places um yeah so and the two things I sort of divide my time between now are uh, mental health stuff and travel stuff which is a nice mixture because I found if I just do stuff about mental health it, it can get a little bit much um and I love travel stuff anyway so it's a good mixture I used to sub edit for the Times as well. It's it's a tough gig, isn't it? It's, it's hard. Oh right. <laughs> Which section? I used to do the uh, weekend sections, all the weekend supplements. It was quite mm -hmm. some time ago, um, two thousand around two thousand and ten, eleven, around that time. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of when they were initially. I was in the Wapping Building, and then they moved and went to. Was it London Bridge? No. That's right. They're really close to the, the Shard now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've only ever worked for them initially, yeah, in the Shard building. Well, not the Shard, you know, opposite the Shard pretty much. Um, but it's been really good, I guess, like lots of people have found after the pandemic, the sort of way it's changed. Because during the pandemic, they moved the whole operation online. Mm -hmm. And so for sub-editors, well, any sort of freelancers, really, they totally sort of switched everything. Like we do everything from home. Um, like you can go into the office. I think if I was, if I wasn't a freelancer, I think they they want people people to go into like at least a few days a week, but they don't sort of demand it's five days a week. I know. Um, so people tend to do a mixture of both now. I think, but yeah, as a freelancer, I just do it all from home now. Oh. It's really changed actually. Yeah, because now I kind of think, God, how did I manage? Because I live out in the country now. How did I manage? commuting into London and going over to the offices and then finishing and then coming back it's so much nicer really to be doing it from home because yeah. <laughs> they're a nice bunch but um we, you know we have meetings through zoom and you know we chat I feel like I chat actually a lot more to people remotely than I did when I was actually physically in the office weirdly because it's a quite a quiet environment I found yeah um, yeah yeah I guess, like, yeah, that makes sense because there's a less sort of cross because in the open plan office, there's so much going on, isn't there? With like breaking news and yeah, different hierarchies and stuff. Yeah, I remember because the timings of that were um, 
I remember they started, I don't know if it's still the case now, but I remember the timings were odd, like from 11 till seven, it was really, you'd get home very late. Yeah. Yeah. I used to do the 12 till eight gig. So even worse, really. So 12 till eight, and then I'd get the tube across London, then get the train home. So I wouldn't be home till like 10 or 11 o'clock. And I just did that. I just put up with that. I just did that for ages. And um, yeah, like I say, now doing that from home, it's much better, but also I've moved teams now. So I have, um, I get to do 10 till six, which is a lot more sort of normal. And also I have a great boss who's very flexible, which is, makes such a difference, doesn't it? Because yeah. um, it really varies in um, in journalism. That's great that you've got a good team like that. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, for sure. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so kind of in a way, because what you're talking about, the commute there, it's linking just my memory to one of the articles I read of you that you wrote about your commute when there was a time when you you wrote a piece about um you having bipolar disorder and I, I don't know how much you feel that you want to talk about that so I'd check that out with you first I know you have spoken about it a lot and you do a podcast on mental health so you might be completely fine with it but it's worth me checking because you may not be also so how, how oh thanks yeah yeah no, I'm, but I'm totally open to talking about everything in, in terms of, yeah, commuting or working or dating or, or anything like that. I'm really open to chatting about that. And music. I love music. So. Yeah. 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 Because people talk a lot about when they're talking about mental health, mental illness, however people want to frame it, they mm. will talk about it in, in quite a medical way sometimes. And then they talk about the, the medication that they're on. And, you know, my, my podcast looks at the impact of music um, and its role within um, mental health and sometimes that can be very music industry based in terms of musicians and other times it's simply about you know how actually how music in itself impacts us as people and Mm. there is so much that I've learned through the podcast around the science behind music and talking to music therapists and actual evidence showing that it can have a clinical impact on on people um and so I think I'd be really interested to see how music has interplayed with your sense of your disorder whether it has played a part um... yeah I mean I've got lots to talk about with that because I absolutely love music um it might seem seem sometimes it's it tends to surprise people when they hear that I'm a sort of really lifelong um R&B and hip-hop lover like since I was about 13 I've been really into that um and so that's been really important to me there's certain artists that I find very helpful to listen to sort of they, they can be very sort of uplifting or I feel like when I'm struggling I kind of get the support from their songs or their lyrics. Mm. Um, and then the other side of it, um, I'm by no means like professional, but I absolutely love to sing. And I've been a member of, you know, choirs pretty much all my life. I realised actually I, I don't, haven't actually rejoined one yet after the pandemic. And I think that's the that's a big thing for me to do this year. Um, when I get rid of my cold, I don't want to go back to a choir and spread, a, <laughs> spread, spread germs around people. But um, yeah. Um, singing has always been really great I think in terms of my mental health and um, I think there's something really powerful about um, just the process of singing when I was younger I had singing lessons and so I went through all the whole how you're meant to do it sort of properly you know breathing right from the diaphragm standing up straight but actually thinking about it you know just that action of standing tall standing up straight um, breathing sort of really deeply from your stomach um, 
if you sort of link kind of compare that to the kind of belly breathing that some people find helpful for anxiety mm. I think it really does make a big difference in terms of my mental health and say if I'm having a tough day or even if things have just been a little bit low not not if things have been sort of dramatically difficult but um yeah I think singing for me has been really helpful dancing has been really helpful because I really find that helpful after a stressful day um and um yeah I don't know where I'd be without music because I've <laughs> I had a I actually had a friend when when I was younger and um he blew my mind actually because he said oh I just I don't listen to music because I asked him about his favorite kind of music and he said oh, I don't listen to music. And I, and I was just like, what? Because yeah. I, I listened to it so much, especially sort of when I was, I mean, when I was a teenager, but right, sort of right through, it's been really, really helpful, I think. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've known very few people who say they don't like music, but every so often I encounter someone. It's fascinating. I wonder It is, isn't it? I can't get my head around it. Just like yeah. the idea of just like, no, not for me. I'm, I guess there's all kinds of other things to enjoy and hobbies to do, but I, I can't imagine a, a world without it, really. Yeah. I think the person I I remember hearing who said they didn't like music, they said something about not liking the idea that it sets the tone for how they're supposed to feel and they feel they don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. That was the, the sense they had, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned you mentioned R&B and hip-hop like when did that kind of enter into your life what was your first memory there of yeah I mean luckily I know very specifically because it was a real sort of dramatic thing Um, I remember there was this single called Regulate by Warren G and Nate Dogg and I think I must have been 13 or 14 Um, so this was the 90s (laughs) I'm so old but um yeah that song came out it did really well in the charts and um i I bought it on a cd single because i wanted to listen to it because that's what you had to do in those days there was no streaming and that's how you listen to music you had to go to the the record shop um i spent hours on my weekends in half price um but yeah so going to the record shop and buying that and um so i loved that song i just knew it was brilliant and in those days, you also had B-sides. So it was a single, a CD single, but you had that song, Regulate, but it also had several other songs um, from a soundtrack um, from a film called Above the Rim, because Regulate was taken from that soundtrack. And so these other tracks, um, two of them were by an artist called Tupac Shakur, and I'd never even heard of Tupac before then. Um, back in those days, um, it was kind of a bit, I don't know, like hip hop didn't really get the kind of radio play that it does now. You know, everybody's a lot more familiar with it and the artists. I mean, now everyone knows who Tupac is, whether you like hip hop or not, you know, like it's, of course they do. But um, yeah, I listened to those tracks and I was just, again, I think it's just like my head exploded. (laughs) I was just like, what is, what is this? It was just like the best music I'd ever heard. And then, yeah, from there, it was just like a a mission to then save up. save up go to our price get like the full soundtrack of that film save up get um two packs albums you know work through saving up the money to then buy all the different albums on cd um and then again um because what they tended to do they still do now i suppose um in a lot of rap is um they'd have like featured artists so on a lot of those tracks it would be featuring so and so 
and if the artist was really good I'd then obviously seek them out and buy their albums Mm -hmm. and it just kind of grew and grew until I had this kind of big collection and then of course in those days as well it was really about um, hip-hop magazines Mm -hmm. so I got really into this um, magazine in um, it was UK based called Touch I mean there's all there were all these other big ones called like Hip Hop Connection and The Source um, which you picked up in WH Smith's but the one that was UK based was Touch and so I used to subscribe to that and when they sort of gave um, an album five stars I'd just buy it because I trusted them um, yeah so again spent a lot of money on CDs which now I mean I can still play them somewhere I suppose if I got a CD player but yeah um, but that's how I kind of got into the music yeah I think with the same era because you're talking about 90s our price b-sides it's all yeah I remember yeah, all that, yeah. Um, isn't it wonderful though when you discover like a, a new genre or a new artist and you just it's like you just discover more and more of this incredible stuff that they've made and then yeah they'll feature another great great artist and you'll just think oh my god this person's amazing as well and then you'll start sort of buying a load of their stuff and then you kind of get into like the production or who's written this or who's produced this and because that's another thing that I sort of went down you know like with um I'd sort of with Jay-Z and Kanye West and all that sort of stuff they have all these sort of groups of artists working together and again you sort of end up being really interested in that side of things as well and buying all their stuff (laughs) yeah kind of opens up a world doesn't it like a domino effect you you get into one thing and it leads the path it's like this real process of discovery that I don't know if it happens so much nowadays because I guess I'm not young I'd have to ask someone young but it doesn't feel as if uh, that process kind of develops and unfolds in the same way yeah yeah I mean it is quite different I mean I think I think personally for me there is still that process but it's in a very different way because obviously with streaming services so what tends to happen for me with streaming services is I mean I put together loads and loads of playlists of artists that I really like and then for instance Spotify will recommend other artists like that and then I will listen to those artists Mm -hmm. and sometimes I think oh my god this one's amazing or there's something that's slightly different and I think that's amazing and so I go down those rabbit holes but on streaming services but it's um it's I think now also as well like if you're if you're kind of invested in supporting artists you kind of have to think about making the effort to go to live shows because you don't know how much money they're actually getting from streaming services so um so last year I went to this incredible R&B and hip-hop festival uh in um Las Vegas called Lovers and Friends and that was oh my god that was like the best it was like all my favorite (laughs) artists Uh, and that's on again this year and I think they're gonna I mean hopefully they'll make an annual thing but I think yeah kind of again these events aren't cheap but I think that artists themselves actually get more of the money if you go to their events and if you like buy merchandise and if you do that sort of thing because I don't know how much money they actually get from streaming and I am you know like um like I said I don't know a huge amount about it but that does concern me a little bit because if I love somebody's work I don't want to feel like they're actually only getting five pence from these tracks that I'm listening to you know yeah yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty bad now isn't it they don't get it um I don't know the numbers yeah but I I only know that there's simply no money to be made The, the people making the money are all the investors up at the top and the musicians are getting their money from live 
music but then in the pandemic there was no live music so they were really struggling it's really awful isn't it it's really yeah awful. yeah but then from the flip side like I said now now we're kind of coming out of the pandemic mm-hmm. it's lovely to sort of be going out and going to gigs again and yeah discovering people because that's another huge side isn't it I don't know if you found this from going to gigs but um you know you'll go to a gig and you're all excited about the main artists but you might not know anything about the supporting acts and sometimes those supporting acts can end up being other kind of really you can fall in love with them as well in terms of the music I remember going to see Mary J Blige um again in the 90s knowing nothing about her supporting acts and then before I know it I've also really fallen in love with an artist called Joe um an artist called Genuine who's probably sort of best known for the song Pony um who else did she have Chico DeBarge I think um yeah so the supporting acts that can make a huge difference as well in terms of I think as a as a fan because you, you you know you go wow these are brilliant brilliant too and you start supporting them as well yeah you start digging into it all yeah yeah when you mentioned um you said when you first heard that song by Tupac on one of the b-sides you said it was like the best thing you'd ever heard what was it about it that you can remember if you're if you can recall that what it was about it that felt like the best thing you'd ever heard um so there were yeah, there were several songs. There was a song called Pain and a song called Loyal to the Game. I couldn't help but know your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. And I think, yeah, with both of them, they just blew my head off, really. And what was it? I mean, there was definitely an element of, oh, my God, I've never heard anything like this before. Like, how are they making, How how's anyone made anything that sounds this good? Because um so I suppose partly it was the contrast because before then I'd heard lots of just chart music pop stuff I think when I was you know younger I I was listening to New Kids on the Block or uh Take That or you know just kind of standard teeny bopper stuff and then to have the contrast with that of um you know a really brilliant rapper Mm. and and the, the also the production of um it's hard to describe it's really good production and also um if I'm honest just kind of I suppose it was just also different for me like the stuff that they were talking about I didn't know anything about so in I guess if I'm being sort of boring about it it was kind of educational to hear about that there were people living in that sort of situation on the other side of the world and those things were happening but and actually if you're a fan of Tupac you sort of know that you, you kind of you can't listen to it without having some sort of education about um things that sort of went on um during those times
it's hard to sort of describe, isn't it, when you just hear something that is so different and so new. Um, I think really just at my heart, I just thought, you know, everything else before this has, has been fine and fun, but this is like, this is it. You know, like this is yeah. this is good music. Yeah. You know, like forget all the because I was never really into the indie bands and stuff. So like, forget the indie bands, forget the pop stuff. Yes, I'm sure they're talented. That they can play the guitars well, and like people have got good singing voices. But like this is everything because for me there was you know the rap, there was also the hooks. So there were some there's some fantastic singers obviously doing the hooks. Really really strong vocalists. Um, and then just the whole package, the way it was produced was just so rounded um, and just so interesting as well, I guess, in terms of what it was being sort of talked about. Um, I think that's everything <laughs> with that one. Yeah. Was that, was it something you were uniquely into or were, were other friends around you also getting into that as well? <laughs> Sorry. I'm laughing because it was literally, it felt like it was just me. Um, there may have been like one or two lads at school who I wasn't friends with who were maybe also listening to this stuff. But um, all my friends, this was during like the Blur versus Oasis sort of time. So all my friends were kind of either Team Blur or Team Oasis or, you know, some of them were into kind of like bubblegum pop. And then there was me sort of saying, you know, I remember we had um sleepovers every weekend so usually you'd go around to a friend's house and you'd watch pretty woman or you'd watch dirty dancing or you'd watch grease and then it was my turn to host a sleepover and um I got them watching above the rim which was because it was the film that this soundtrack was from and I really wanted to see it and they were just like what the hell is this <laughs> because it's it is a film about um you know it, it's well it, yeah, it, it wasn't the sort of thing they were expecting, basically. I think they were, with those sort of sleepovers, they were all expecting chick flicks. And yeah, they didn't they didn't sort of understand why I wanted to watch it. And with the music in terms of, um, yeah, they they didn't. I think probably the, the things that I had in common in terms of the music with them were like I could get them in. I could get them interested in R&B. Mm. So um, I probably had friends who were sort of, in fact, I know I did have friends who like like Mariah Carey and um, um, Aaliyah. And um, I don't know that I see the, the girl bands that I really loved are SWV and Brownstone. I don't know that, that many of them are sort of that into those either. But um, yeah, if I sort of managed to win them over, it would generally be with uh, R&B stuff. Mm. Um, I didn't manage to sort of win any friends over to listening to hip-hop unfortunately like I said I think there may have been a couple of lads in school that were also listening to the, the stuff that I was listening I remember when I was in sixth form um like a guy in my history class was um listening to DMX and I was listening to Farrah Monch and there was some sort of recognition there that we actually sort of had that sort of in common mm -hmm. but overall absolutely none yeah. <laughs> which made sort of going to gigs or sort of <laughs> talking about it I mean, not really a thing. Yeah. yeah. Do you think it had, um, I guess when I'm thinking about it, because I, I remember that as well at that age, perhaps we're, it sounds like we're a very similar age. I'm 39, I don't know 
I'm 41. 41, yeah. yeah, So I'm about to be 40 in April. So it seems like it was that era because because a lot of your references are like I'm really, uh, you know, even the things like sleepovers, I really re- relate to so much of that. And I do remember, uh, I seem to remember R&B being a bit of a thing at one point and, and uh, yeah, less so hip hop, but there's almost like... Um, I imagine amongst girls, I mean, it sounds like you went to um, a mixed school, girls and boys. Um, yeah, yeah. more girls school. And I felt hip hop had uh, maybe a slightly more male energy to it, maybe just because I'm thinking of like the stars. But um, in terms, yeah, yeah I don't know. well, I think that's that's an interesting kind of take. I mean, I went to an all girls school as a primary school and then I went to a mixed school for secondary school. And I, I think I know what you're getting at. I mean, a lot of the lyrics were sort of fairly violent and fairly, um, well, I don't know. The, the thing is like, once you really went to hip hop, you realized it wasn't just about the more famous ones, you know, like there's artists like A Tribe Called Quest and Jurassic Five and um, Slum Village and just all these other ones who like, I don't know, there's, there's so many artists that sort of aren't talking about bitches and like, there's an artist I really like called Lupe Fiasco and he's really kind of like not, like that at all but on the other hand yeah I suppose it's kind of like entry-level hip-hop um it does have a kind of um what's the right word a certain a certain energy I suppose like you're saying like a kind of a more masculine energy maybe that sort of put some people off but for me I think for one thing like for me with the references to um to bitches or stuff like that I always took it with a pinch of salt there was like for for some I, d- I can't really explain why other than I just thought you know like I, it's almost like I kind of didn't really believe I don't know if I didn't really believe if they meant it or if it was just like I kind of decided that well this is the language that they're using but that doesn't actually mean um that, that they're being offensive if that makes sense yeah, it's like because yeah. obviously lots of words used in all sorts of music they can sort of mean mean several things and so I just kind of I suppose in my head I just thought well all right so in this particular genre at this particular time they're sort of using words that can mean two things Mm -hmm. you know for for lots of stuff and in in a way um I don't know that it's almost like it's a sort of code isn't it I guess with lots of different genres and lots of different um um yeah sort of kind of cliques that you can get into there's there's lots of different words that you sort of learn and maybe there was an element of me that kind of liked sort of learning those different sort of words and ways of looking at the world but um yeah I mean thinking about it like it's not like there's no female rappers Mm -hmm. and also um you know around that time we had that brilliant album um actually well slightly later it would have been the miseducation of Lauren Hill. And so she's like this fantastic singer songwriter and also rapper. And I think she's quite underrated in terms of that. But um, so I don't know, I, I think I never thought, you know, I, I never really felt like, oh, well, I'm a woman, so I can't listen to this or oh, yeah. oh, I'm put off by this. Um, and also there was just like the, honestly, I, I don't know, there's still an element of, of me that just sort of thinks like I, I just don't understand it but it's just I just think it's brilliant yeah, <laughs> and yeah. also I think another side of it to me that I sort of really love is uh, that I loved initially and then kind of went on to love even more is the humorous side to it 
So in all kinds of um, different sort of like iconic hip hop albums, there's so much humour. Um, I mean, from Snoop Dogg's albums to Kanye West albums, I mean, to Eminem's albums, like there's so much humour. So like you can choose to get offended at certain words, but like for me, those things are very minor compared to the bigger story that is usually being yeah. told. And you'll sort of listen to a song for the first time and you'll just laugh at something. And then you'll, with the really good ones, you'll listen again and you'll pick up other things from it. And there's lots of sort of jokes in there. And yeah, it's, I think they're sort of actually, I think they're a lot more sort of complicated than than some people realise. Although having said that, um, hip hop is a lot more mainstream than it used to be. Because it used to be, honestly, you'd, you'd be able to listen to it on maybe one radio show, well, a couple of radio shows a week. Um, you'd have to pick up your specialist magazines from W.A. Smith. That was it. Like mainstream radio was just not interested. Um, it's not like it is now. It was totally different, really. I, I do hear what you mean. Um, I I interviewed you. You probably, given that you're into it, you, you probably already know uh, these people. Um, Dr. Kim Suwe and Becky Inkster, who run the Hip Hop Psych. Um, it's like a, they're basically two Cambridge academic professors. Uh, well, one's a neuroscientist and one's a psychiatrist, and they have a research hub specifically for hip hop. And I, I into, I think, I think you love them actually, given what you're saying, because they they go really deep into analysing. Um, the mental health impact of the, the words um, used in hip hop lyrics. And I interviewed both of them and Akeem was really going into depth about um, that that sort of like um, unfair image that hip hop has kind of linked to what you're saying, this kind of, this sort of reference to bitches and women and all of this as a kind of tabloid headline of what, what hip hop is about. Whereas when you dig, deeper and look at the stories being told there's, there's a lot of sadness there's a lot of truth um they, they had done studies where they like tracked the the words that were being used in hip-hop lyrics over time and they mapped it alongside um economic crisis and um sociological events so when there was a spike in um when there was a recession there was a spike in the use of the word broke in hip-hop lyrics and things like that and as the things like the opioid crisis was developing, there'd be a spike in use of certain references to drugs, and it, and they they were describing that there's more of a sociological, um, it it's like a snapshot of of what life is, and that there's a lot to be learned um there. So um, I totally um connect with what you're saying there, and it it, it sounds like you had that kind of awareness and connection to the sort of the more of the depths of what the songs were about something on some level was hitting you even if it yeah. was just me at the beginning it, 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 there was some meaning to it for you yeah there was a lot of meaning I mean the, uh, the thing is on the surface yeah I've always thought it probably does look quite sort of strange and I'm a, a middle-class white woman really likes hip-hop but um there's so many sort of inspiring messages sort of within a lot of the, the songs and also um you know I was before this interview I was thinking about sort of some of the most inspiring ones I can't think of more inspiring songs 
in any sort of music, let alone sort of just sort of hip hop and songs like, you know, Sky's the Limit. And that whole song is basically sort of a blueprint of sort of telling you to just kind of keep going, keep your head up, you know, like just be patient. And there's, that's not, that that's just like one off the top of my head. There's so many, obviously Tupac literally wrote a song called Keep Your Head Up. And um, so there's songs like that. And, and other songs off the top of my head by Tupac, like Hold On, Be Strong, all these ones, they're very sort of clearly, you know, just don't give in, keep your head up, you know, like keep going. Um, and, but also great to listen to. So, um, yeah, it's incredibly inspiring, I think, a lot of the, the music. Um, and I think, yeah, it does get sort of like bad press. Maybe not so much now, but it certainly did when I was younger. You're right. The things that kind of making the headlines were, um, yeah, the bad language and also, you know, the links to actual violence that was going on and, you know, suggesting that maybe listening to this sort of music could cause violence. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, I think some of the sort of key tracks have been incredibly sort of educational and, yeah, inspiring and um, in a way that... And and I suppose, I don't know, thinking about it, I don't know why I sort of connect with it. Um, but maybe sort of in terms of, well, on the, maybe it's not that difficult to sort of understand anyway, because, you know, during my teens, I was really struggling with my mental health and um, going through some difficult times. So actually hearing uh, other voices from people who had been through some real, just some real shit in their lives I mean you know and had gone out the other side and been successful and sort of we know we're carrying on um I think that was probably quite helpful a lot more helpful than say listening to I don't know some girl or boy band or um you know listening to something that was just cheerful on the surface because I think that's the thing that you get in a lot of hip-hop it's like yeah the acknowledgement that you know things either are difficult or have been difficult but you know if you keep if you keep your head up if you keep going if you keep trying they'll get better um yeah you you mentioned that in relation to to mental health but around that time that you were listening to that music would that have been the time that you first became aware of experiences with bipolar yeah so I mean for me, I started getting um, depressed. I don't know. I think, to be honest, I might have had patches of depression in childhood, but they certainly got worse when I was around sort of 13, 14. And then I had my first manic episode at 17. And then the period after having the manic episode, I went to a young person's mental health unit and I was really sort of shaken in terms of, you know, I didn't know really who I was or what my life would be ne- like next, you know, like what would what it would mean to kind of, have gone mad and then to sort of I just didn't know what was gonna happen next to be honest and I had a lot of fear around that so thinking about it you know like um it felt like and it still feels like actually having the support of those songs and those artists with those sort of positive messages in both hip-hop and R&B was really helpful I, I mean I mentioned Mariah Carey again sort of earlier but a lot of her stuff is really inspiring I mean, a lot of it's just sort of fun, uplifting, you know, makes you, makes you dance, which is brilliant as well. But some of her stuff is really like, you can tell she's been through a lot and she's still saying, you know, like, keep your head up to the sky. 
there's a song called fly like a bird which literally says that and um there's all kinds of there's a real sort of power and strength not just to her vocals but to her lyrics I think so yeah 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 I can really see that because uh, I think especially then and and this is something that does come up in the podcast quite a lot is the, the distinction between our awareness of mental health issues now in comparison to how it was you know even up until only five years ago, really. Um, but in the 90s, especially, and, and particularly before that as well, um, you know, imagining you as a teenager going through an experience like that and, and actually how lonely that may have felt or how difficult it would have been to talk about and then to have artists speaking directly to you to experiences that... that make you feel actually this stuff goes on and I'm not alone how powerful that would have been for you yeah it really helped a lot I mean and I don't know I think probably at the time I wouldn't have made that connection but certainly yeah you're absolutely right first of all in saying that you know not too long ago people didn't really talk about mental health stuff and particularly kind of as a teenage girl like my peers weren't talking about it and so I'd become very ill and gone off to this um, young person's mental health unit. And when I went back to school, I didn't talk to any of my friends about that. I just pretended that I'd had glandular fever because um, I suppose there was that shame around it and the isolation. And yeah, I am really <laughs> getting slightly emotional, but I am really grateful to have had um, that sort of music because I think that definitely is a source of um, reassurance and support really actually a lot of those tracks um, did really help yeah. it's, it also kind of like makes me smile a bit because thinking about it like to to my parents like they didn't they, they didn't understand the appeal of artists like Tupac or anyone either at all like they were just like what's this nonsense and they sort of made fun of his name and all this like called him six pack and all this sort of stuff because they just thought it was an odd name and it, it's just they they just didn't get it because I think they heard the surface level and maybe they heard like the aggression and like just the fact that it was so different to other music. Um, but yeah, so I think on the surface, it probably was quite an odd look, but at the same time, um, thinking about it now, yeah, I've, I'm just really grateful to those sort of various artists that did sort of make um, records like that, that actually helped in the long run you know and they're still around I mean it's it was I was you know obviously devastated um when he lost his life but you know his work is still you know we can still listen to that and we can still listen to work by other artists as well um who were kind of inspired by him so um I feel like I've focused very much just on Tupac and that's not just like the only rapper or person in like that genre that I was listening to but um I think because he was like my first love in terms of hearing that first song, I'll always have that kind of um, respect for him and kind of like, yeah, just feel very grateful to him for his music. What was it like when he died? How did that impact you? Oh, God. Well, um, I suppose in the same way that, you know, a lot of people were very upset when Princess Diana died. I remember, you know, girls in my class being very sad when she died um and um I don't know if there were any other kind of famous people 
or famous musicians that might have passed away around that sort of time. But that was the only kind of comparison I could say because, um, yeah, for, for me, I wasn't so invested in the royal family, but, like, when he passed away, I was, yeah, completely gutted um, for all sorts of reasons. For, you know, for the very selfish reason that it meant that I wouldn't, wouldn't get to hear more of his music, but just, I mean, it's not... It's not just his music as well. It's like if you look at his career, like he's he was an incredible actor as well. So like the because I got really into his films that he did, and he has so much potential as well. And now I just think about it as well. Like he was now I'm forty one, but you know, like he was such a young man really to have lost his life at that age. And as I said, an incredible actor as well as a musician and creator in general. So it is just such a tragedy because. If you look at like some of what some of his peers have gone on to do just with the time that they've had sort of getting older in terms of acting or if you look at like someone like LL Cool J, he does a whole acting thing as well now or Snoop Dogg does a load of thing around food. Like I just think, God, what, what would he be doing now? Like or what would he have created? Like would he have gone into more acting because I think he was incredible or would he have even gone into politics possibly because he was very politically minded as well? Um, and, you know, when he was younger, those sort of avenues weren't really open to him, but, um, you know, after Obama, maybe he would have got more involved in that side of things again. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I was, yeah, pretty shaken up, I suppose. And also, I guess pretty shaken up. And also in that situation, I felt like nobody really understood why I was sad because like, yeah, none of my friends were into his music. And, um, yeah. But, um, now I think, you know, it's, it's not an unusual thing to say that, you know, I was upset about that because, you know, online you do meet sort of more people who like that kind of music and were affected by his death. Was that around the same time that you went into the young person's mental health unit? Was that the same timeline? Um, gosh, that's a good question. Um, no, I think he actually passed away. Um before maybe like a couple of years before I think it was 96 if I'm right in saying um but I, I, I can't remember like the exact year that I went in I was 17 when I went in um god what year is that my math is terrible around dates um that would have been around 98 possibly because I, I was in the year 2000 I was 17 if you're a couple of years older around 98 something like that yeah um so no, I mean, I yeah, the two weren't sort of, yeah, the, the two weren't connected. But I was still kind of listening to his music, like he was still with us. But I guess once you have lost someone, there is that kind of element of, I don't know. The whole thing's strange anyway, because I never got to see him live or anything, which is I'm quite sad about. But um, yeah. When I was in the young person's mental health unit, though, I think that was, yeah, that was quite a difficult time. I think music did help me in lots of ways, but that was really, I think, because it was a few years later, that was when I had, if I'm honest, that's when I'd started getting into sort of some other rappers and like, um, like I was saying, Pheromonch, DMX a bit more um, common, um, ones like that. So 
but still always coming back to Tupac as well. Yeah, yeah. How are you to talk about that time in the mental health unit, if, like the sort of circumstances leading up to it and um, what you remember of that experience? Yeah. So in terms of how I got there and what had happened, um, it's still very clear on my mind, actually. So I'd um, <clears throat> basically I'd had this um, was it about a, year, a week or so before I'd had a snog with some boy. Um, and then the week after I'd rung him up to ask him out and he said no. And um, <clears throat> I got very emotional and upset about that. And that ended up triggering a manic episode. Um, and I, th I think it's kind of important to sort of think about that for me because it's, it's made me realise that a lot of the time it's emotional stress rather than uh, like work stress that can trigger manic episodes for me. Like now I'm 41 and I've been, I've had a few manic episodes. Um, I think there's the assumption that it's just say work stress or school stress that might trigger illness. But actually for me, it's emotional stress um I shouldn't laugh really and it's probably a combination and it's all sorts of things but anyway essentially so um I yeah I lost touch, touch with reality I started well believing I had magical powers um and yeah it, I don't think it lasted very long the actual manic episode um I can remember it still fairly well um, I remember my parents being quite confused about it and were well, very confused about it. And I remember my sister asking me if I'd done drugs, which I hadn't, um, you know, like asking as in, you know, is this why you're acting like this? Mm. Um, and um, yeah, it kind of, I basically just kind of got caught up in it. Like it didn't, it wouldn't have occurred to me to go to sixth form, go to school, you know, um, I was just completely, um, well, world up in it, I suppose. Um, and then when it stopped, um, that's when I got sort of really depressed and also really scared, I suppose, about, you know, what did this mean for me? Because I, you know, felt I'd gone mad. Um, and then I tried to kill myself. And um, then luckily a nurse from a young person's mental health unit um came around to the house obviously my parents had arranged that and yeah she asked if I'd like to have some time at the unit um and so I went there as an outpatient um for I think I think it must have been about six months or something but as an outpatient so um it was sort of gradually going there but then sort of eventually getting me back into sixth form um and at the mental health unit um made some lovely friends they all had sort of various different mental health issues which was it was an interesting sort of code because we didn't really ever talk about what those issues were and they never asked me about sort of what I was in for if that makes sense but everyone was really lovely um and I think sort of time got part just passed and I started to feel better um at that point I chose not to go on medication although it, it was mentioned but at that point I didn't want to um, and yeah, eventually I ended up going back to sixth form um, and eventually ended up going to university. So that's quite a lot in there. 
is there anything you want to ask <laughs> with this <Matt? coughs> how long was your stay there how how long were you in there or, or like going visiting for yeah so I think it was around six months, six months but I was never an inpatient they did um sort of offer that at one point like if I wanted to stay as an inpatient but I was quite happy to just be an outpatient and did you find the experience like there's such a range of story my reason for asking this question is is knowing what a range of experiences people have when they're in any kind of psychiatric care and some people talk about being treated very very well and other people have terrible experiences for you personally especially at that time in the 90s late 90s um yeah how did you experience the care and the experience of other people you met there I think I was really lucky I mean I think I had a really good well I don't know you can't really say good sort of time at these places because um you know my mind was totally scrambled at that point and I was it's not just sort of the aftermath of having a manic episode and and then also feeling depressed it was also like I said the, the kind of coming to terms with not being you know normal anymore or the feeling that I wasn't normal anymore um so that was a big thing but actually in terms of what it was like there um I tend to always describe it as a, a as a shit youth club because that would be the most accurate to, to sort of description for me so they they got us doing things like um creative writing and sort of art stuff um circus skills um there were sort of there was some sort of group sort of therapy type things but I remember I didn't really talk of it at all in those situations because at that point I was just really shell-shocked I think is the right word so at that point I was shell-shocked um so I'd go to the young person mental health unit I didn't really know what to uh, sort of to expect from it um I had a really nice nurse and I had a really I think it really helped that I had a really um good would you have been a psychiatrist or psychotherapist? Psychiatrist, I think it is. Well, anyway, a good doctor there um, who gave me a really good sort of explanation of what he thought had happened. And his explanation of it, to me now, it really sounds like an explanation of bipolar disorder in terms of, because essentially what he said is that, you know, some people, or like the majority of people kind of like go through life and their moods will kind of go up and down to a, a certain level but it will sort of be on a sort of smaller wave and then but then what I've sort of experienced is kind of a higher higher and lower waves essentially um and um he was really good because I felt like he really knew what he was talking about and that he was well qualified the nurse I liked because she was just sort of personable and friendly um the other people in there I liked because I felt like we were all sort of in the same boat and so they were dealing with different challenges um but yeah but they were nice I was lucky um but it's it's strange really because I mean I don't know I never I don't know because I at that point I didn't go on medication and I didn't really I don't think I really had a huge amount of therapy it was almost like it was kind of like a a holding area like to to keep me somewhere safe where until my mind had sort of calmed down a bit and I'd you know 
it, yeah, I really eventually got to this point of just being a bit bored and frustrated that I was there and not getting on with things, which actually is uh, really, I think, probably how it should be because, you know, in the sense that I suppose if you're bored and frustrated with being at um, a mental health unit, it means that actually you want to be out again, you know, like you want to be living your life, you want to be thinking about plans and seeing friends and, you know, going into education or whatever it is that you you want to do rather than being in that place um yeah so I think I was really incredibly lucky thinking about it um because yeah people do have all kinds of experiences don't they but um yeah mine was definitely positive overall and was that local was it near where you grew up you had to go yeah yeah and again I know I'm incredibly lucky because now it's really variable isn't it but um yeah it was about I think it was about like half an hour possibly half an hour to 45 five minutes drive so yeah about half an hour's drive I think so pretty local yeah I'm really warm to hear that um you know you had like a psychiatrist sort of really explaining things to you and and helping you understand what had happened and and processing it for you and it still makes sense to you now you have that stayed with you um and I really connected to um, there was something you said there about I think you used the word mad, and um, it, it's reminding me of when when people like you know clients and other people I know who who have experienced bipolar disorder describe this process of um, getting to a point where when they're in it they don't know it's happening and then afterwards the sudden realization of what you did and that can almost be worse than the experience itself when you realize you were not uh you were not okay um is that how would you say that that mimics the same process for you yeah absolutely because when you're you know when you are manic when you're caught up in that um you've got nothing to worry about really because you've got this like huge kind of like rush this adrenaline rush this sort of you know everything's almost kind of like exciting it sort of almost feels like well for, this is my experience of it it sort of feels like everything makes sense you know like things happen and it's I don't know it almost feels like the universe has sort of more purpose and you sort of I don't know there's definitely an, an element to it so there's not really an element of kind of doubting it and then yeah, when it stops um, and you're kind of back to being normal, you do look at the things that you've done, the things that you've said, the things that have affected other people, and you can be left with a lot of basically wreckage to clear up, you know, like, you know, do I need to apologise for this? Or like, oh, how could I have done that? Or, you know, like around certain situations, you could be ashamed of things that you've said or done. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things. Or you could have done just really daft things in terms of your physical sort of health. Like I remember, I remember, I shouldn't laugh at this, but I remember one sort of during one manic episode, um, I was in a car sort of with my dad driving along. Um, so he was driving and I was in the passenger seat. Um, but I basically, you know, I thought I was invincible and I tried to throw myself out the car. You know, like, thankfully I didn't manage to, but this is the sort of thing in my experience that you're, kind of you can end up doing and you could end up getting sort of quite badly physically hurt from things like that so you know there's there's that sort of wreckage as well like you could end up physically hurt afterwards as well 
um yeah and you do sort of it is almost like you know you're sort of left among this wreckage going oh god like what's especially with the first time it's ever happened to you like you just think god what's what on earth was that and what's happened to my life now and how am I going to rebuild it um yeah it's a lot especially the first time yeah and a sense of um I guess uh when you get that sort of when you're told this is what it is you have a sense of oh well it's, is this my life now or something yeah I mean there's the thing about diagnosis is is it an interesting one I mean I didn't actually get diagnosed with bipolar disorder till I was 24 so although there was that you know very helpful and you know yeah really good doctor at the young person's mental health unit when I was a teenager I had to then you know because I chose not to go on meds at that sort of young age I then ended up having um, quite a few more manic episodes and depressive episodes and then after one in my 20s that was when I then went to a doctor and but essentially went you know enough is enough like and I got my diagnosis and then I went on long-term mood stabilizers but um yeah but now it seems a lot easier because you know now I've sort of got mood stabilizers I know more about sort of managing it um yeah but again like you say I think that initial when you realize that this is what you have in some ways it's very helpful because you can sort of research it and sort of work out what you can do to make your life easier and, and to sort of put yourself less at risk from mania and depression um but yeah I suppose also there is maybe also the feeling that oh god I'm sort of lumbered with this thing but then people are lumbered with all kinds of illnesses aren't they physical and mental so it's just a process of learning about it I think and working out what works for you yeah, absolutely. And having that sense of um, agency with it, the sense of understanding what it is, the measure of it, where it's come from, how it how it works. And then you, you I guess you integrate it into your life in a slightly different way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, sort of initially, it was very much about just, you know, getting the right meds and then remembering to take them all the time and sticking to them. And then as I got a bit older, it was more about also incorporating, um, you know, finding finding a good therapist. It took me ages to find a therapist that I liked and sort of found useful. And then again, as the years have gone on, I'm, I'm really sort of appreciating more things like meditation and things that the doctors have always said, but I've kind of ignored, like diet and exercise. You know, I found like last year, well, no, actually year before last, I, I really sort of got a lot better in terms of healthy eating and that really helped my mood a lot in a sort of quite a dramatic way that I wasn't expecting. Um, but that's a whole other set of challenges because for me, when I'm depressed, especially I can kind of end up relying on junk food. Um, but actually now I know I've had that year of really good healthy eating um, and how that's helped my mental health. I think that is a good thing to have in the back of my mind. So just knowing that actually, you know, you know, eating the vegetables actually will make me feel better. Um, not in the same way that mood stabilise will, will actually make me better, but, you know, overall it is helpful. Yeah, yeah. And do you find yourself, I guess when you talked about the emotional triggers, the emotional stresses, 
do you find yourself almost anticipating, you know, something's coming up ahead that might be challenging and you sort of brace yourself or, or does it work differently for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I suppose, yeah, there is an element of that I do sort of, it's like I've, I've always got like half and like when I open with stuff like that, like, um, like for instance, recently um, I had sort of quite a lot of family drama and I knew that that was quite a stressful thing to be involved in. And so I suppose I was aware of it and I was kind of almost thinking, yeah, I was a little bit worried that that might result in um, some depression this month because I generally struggle with um, the beginning of the year, um, like the seasonal sort of, there's a definitely a seasonal side of it, like for me as well. Um, but thankfully this year has been really good so far in terms of mood. Um, yeah, it's um, thinking about it in terms of like emotional stresses. If I'm perfectly 100% honest, I think what I do is I'm more guarded than maybe some people. So in terms of um, relationships, I've definitely sort of had people sort of say like they feel like there's a kind of a barrier that they sort of have to get past. Um, and I think that's maybe, I think that's quite understandable, but like some people probably maybe going into relationships are a lot more, I don't know, they'll let themselves be more vulnerable or be a lot more open. Whereas I think maybe because I know, yeah, my health has to come first. I have maybe a slightly different outlook to these things you know I think we all kind of know like friends that will just throw themselves 100% into a new relationship or like they'll meet some guy on a bus and the next thing you know they've got married the next week or something yeah. but like that's that's not me because yeah I'm a lot more cautious I suppose um which I suppose that might sound a bit sad really but like yeah I think I have to be a little bit careful really maybe too careful I don't know it's a real insight though it's a real insight because it it kind of puts into stark focus actually how you're almost sort of meta tracking yourself like there's an extra layer to is this just um a, a normal excitement that I'm feeling and and is it fine to kind of spontaneously do this thing or is it a, a sign of an onset of something and and um how you know someone without suffering these things can can doesn't have to think about that um it, in for you there's that extra layer of thinking that takes place um almost like you're second guessing yourself a little bit sometimes or... yeah well I mean again to mention the mood stabilizer again as a, again they've really helped and because like I think they've kind of I worry less about you know going you know having a manic episode because they've been so effective in preventing that um but yeah I suppose and I suppose also there's just basic things like for me with relationships like at what point do you have the conversation about having bipolar disorder and like then how much depth do you have to go into and um, how understanding are they going to be? It's There's all that side to it as well. Mm. Um, maybe I'm too practical about it. Or, I don't know, maybe I overthink it. But, um, yeah. 
It's funny, really, because thinking about it, like when I was younger and not on mood stabilizers, I, I probably was a lot more spontaneous in terms of romance and relationships in general. But now, yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? With um, oh, my battery's going down. There, there we go. Yeah. Um, I mean, I suppose it's all like a work in progress, really, like anything. I just thought I'd check in and check, A, that you're okay, and that I'm very mindful of not wanting to sort of, I guess one thing that can often happen is that you 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 can repeat your life script and find yourself sort of going back and, and telling your story. And, it, it you know, for some people that can be triggering, it can also feel... Um, it may not even feel helpful to you so I just wanted to check in that how we how we're talking about this feels all right for you and uh, whether you're feeling like anything's making you uncomfortable yeah I just want to check yeah thanks no I mean I think I'm all right um, I hadn't really thought about like that you know it's an interesting chat to be having because I hadn't really thought about like some of the stuff that we've covered mm -hmm. um because actually, in terms of, you know, telling you about my story about like my first manic episode, um, until fairly recently, I hadn't really put two and two together about the fact that it was so kind of linked with the romantic rejection, really. Um, and so more recently, I've been thinking about that and like, mm. how that's affected my confidence around men in general, and self esteem and all that sort of stuff. But um, it's, it's interesting to talk about it. Um, yeah. Because actually, as you name that, um, I'm guessing, therefore, that that experience was was a very, um, I mean, it, it must have hit hard. I, I, I have a sense that that rejection was felt very acutely at the, at the time, or it felt like a rejection. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah, mm. it definitely, yeah. Yeah. And I think like for a long time afterwards, I I didn't even realise that that was an element to it. I just thought, well, you know, I was at a certain age and that I'd been I'd been really stressed from sixth form and I had the genetic predisposition for bipolar disorder because it's in my family, all these other things. So I'd kind of, I think about all those sort of stuff. And although those are, all those other things are relevant, yeah, the fact that there was the emotional side as well on top of it, which kind of... I'm not going to say sort of makes total sense, but like that was a contributing factor. Um, although, I mean, I would like to sort of say like from the other side of things in terms of with relationships, one of the sort of most amazing things that I had when I was in my twenties is um, I had a serious boyfriend and we'd been going out for a little while and we'd got to the point where I really wanted to sort of talk to him about sort of what had gone on with me in terms of mental health stuff. At that point, I didn't have the diagnosis. Um, but I sat him down and sort of explained, you know, like this happened and I went to the unit and all this sort of stuff. And um, he just said, I don't care. You know, I love you. And that was like, I still think that's like the nicest thing everyone, anyone's ever said to me. Um, it didn't work out in the, in the end because I was like an idiot and just got off with someone else like you do in your 20s. But um, so I think that was incredibly healing as well because I had to have had sort of that a relationship with someone who 
you know, knew that I had mental health issues, but wasn't deterred by that was incredibly um, healing, like I say, and is also great to think about when I sort of think about, you know, like who I might meet in future, because um, I think sometimes there can be the tendency to think, oh, well, you know, it's harder for me to meet someone because of this illness. Um, but actually there's lots of people who, you know, they don't care about it at all. You know, it's just another thing. It's, you know, it's not something to worry about. The total acceptance, the kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad he said that to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, yeah, I'll just give that a bit of space. There might be more you want to say there, actually. Um, I don't know, actually. I think that's probably it. I mean, from from that relationship, um, that was really helpful. And then subsequent ones, yeah. I think every relationship, you sort of learn something, don't you? And I've had some really lovely relationships. Um, I'm single again now, but it's, yeah. Sometimes it can be a real surprise, like the support you can get and, well, it feels like a surprise to me because for me is also I've realized I do have a tendency to kind of isolate, especially around sort of when I'm depressed. I suppose that's fairly common. Um, so to kind of, yeah, have relationships where people are supportive and um, or I mean, for instance, I had a relationship where the guy had also sort of struggled with mental health stuff um, and that was kind of helpful because he just really understood it um yeah and if I if I connect it back to some of the music that you mentioned I um a lot of it well um it's just thinking about how when you mentioned it initially it was in relation to your adolescence and I, and I wondered whether it still plays a part for you now if you notice that there are particular songs of the same genre in fact that really helps you when you're going through something now yeah I mean I had a really difficult um like, like a lot of family drama unfortunately last year where I was really struggling again and actually it's that you might laugh but um I'd be I, I was basically really stressed out and yeah really upset about what was going on and my response to that was to make a Spotify playlist with all my favorite two-pack tracks. Mm -hmm. So some of these tracks that I hadn't listened to um, in years, um, you know, listed them all down again. It was really great to sort of rediscover them and listen again and, you know, get that wisdom again in a lot of the tracks, you know, like get this, but also I guess, you know, have those memories again from when I was younger and getting those feelings of support again or like, yeah remembering how they helped before and because I I literally put that playlist on and then I my whole posture changed like I think I was walking I'd been sort of slouched and listening to that I was sort of stu stood up again with my head high so okay. it really does make a difference um yeah today it's yeah music's just brilliant isn't it I think music's like the closest thing to magic we have it's just it's just amazing for kind of you know, if you're sad, kind of, if you, you can listen to stuff that 
you can feel like other people relate or if you're stressed you can like for me um it's not r&b and hip-hop it's more funk but like if I'm really stressed and I really need to sort of shake it off and dance like earth wind and fire I sort of dance around to that or timberland or um all these different I guess that's sort of like 90s R&B again but like if I need to sort of shake off stress it's really helpful um yeah I don't know what I do sort of day to day without music as well really Mm. it's it's really helpful one thing I do at the moment at the end of my working day so I'll be I do kind of an eight-hour shift um working from home but I like to do this thing now where when it's the end of my shift um, I, I play this um, Shake It Off playlist, which has sort of like dancey songs. So I will literally be dancing around the living room. And it really does change how I feel physically in my body and changes my mood and stuff. Because, um, you know, I can feel really drained sometimes. And it's it's really helpful, I think, to kind of have that switch. Yeah. I know that there are... Um there are scientists working at the moment on on these sorts of playlist based um ideas where i think they call it entrainment where um they set a playlist where you match the mood that you're in at the start they they will match your mood so whatever you're feeling whether it's anger or stress whatever they'll match you exactly and it's based on your your uh, heart rhythm as well they'll match the bpm to match you and then they slowly take you through a process of changing the bpm and changing the um the music to a different state that you want to get to and and they create playlists like this so probably there's something in the shake it off playlist that you put on that has that for you already at this wherever you're at when you finish a day's work takes you somewhere else (laughs) yeah well one thing I sort of picked up during lockdown actually was the idea of you know I don't have to go to a club I don't have to be out at a dance class to dance I can actually just put on a decent playlist of my own and just dance about and it's initially when I started doing that, it really surprised me the joy that I got from it because I'd always assumed that, I mean, part of the joy is sort of the company of other people and sort of being in, out and all that sort of stuff. But it really surprised me the joy I got just from doing it at all anywhere. Um, yeah, I do find it pretty helpful. And um, yeah, that, I think that was a question I had there. It slipped my mind. It will come back. It will come back. Um, There was something about hip hop because you mentioned singing as well. Um, is that something you still you still do a lot of? Yeah, so I've always really loved singing. I used to have singing lessons when I was a kid, and I did all the grades, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then I've always been in choirs pretty much my whole life. And yeah, I think there's something really therapeutic about just the act of singing. I mean, it just I think it just makes you physically feel so much better. I mean, if you're doing it in a choir it's really great because you have the social side of things. Mm. And I think there's something about, you know, singing in unison with a, you know, a group of other people and that wonderful sound you make together that can be really, um, what's the right word? I guess just therapeutic, just makes you feel a lot better. Um, And then in terms of the breathing that you have to do, if you're singing properly, you know, the stance again, that's sort of standing up straight with your head up and, um, you know, breathing right from your diaphragm, breathing right from your stomach. Um, 
and then I personally also get like a real buzz from doing high notes because I'm, I'm a soprano so yeah singing has always been a, like a real joy both sort of sort of performing it with choirs or you know individually or just around the house <laughs> so it's just always really like I really love it um yeah because this is quite fascinating as well as the difference between listening to music and performing it is they do very different things to you physiologically but at the same time very powerful in different ways do you experience a difference in the quality of what happens to you when you're actually performing versus listening to music well that's an interesting question yeah I mean, I've always loved performing, but I do also love listening. I mean, I think thinking about, gosh, I haven't done a real performance since lockdown, but yeah, for me, like, you're right, there's a whole thing around it, isn't there? Like, there's the nerves you get before you go on stage. There's kind of like a buzz around that. And for me, that's a real sort of excitement. Like, I don't, it's not really a fear. It's, it is, I think of it as excitement, so I love it. And then there's this sort of rush you get from being on a stage in front of people and presenting something and having them listen and I guess having the applause, but just, yeah, it's just just a real rush, I suppose. It's really enjoyable. Um, and I guess if I'm honest, like enjoyable in a way that you're right, that's different to just listening and singing in your house or something. Um, yeah. I mean, I just think it's all great, all sort of creative stuff, you know, whether you're performing at a gig or listening at a gig, it's all just, like I say, magic. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's yeah. just really enjoyable. It really is. Is there a song you would, um, I guess if you could pick one that would sort of sum up kind of everything that you've said that you would want in connection to this podcast is there one that is that springs to mind one song yeah or, yeah yeah or a few there might be a few <laughs> yeah it was hard to narrow it down because like before, before this chat I was thinking gosh which songs do I really really love and then I was trying to think of one and then I came up with a big long list of them <coughs> instead um can I do a couple yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah so one that I really love is Faith Evans' Keep the Faith. That's got some very clear, and I guess that's R&B. That's, I absolutely love that song, and I've listened to it so many times over the years, and it's incredible. And, you know, first of all, she's a great singer. It's just lovely to listen to, but also some of the lyrics in it are so powerful and really inspiring. Um, yeah, I mentioned it earlier, but Notorious B.I.G. Sky's the Limit, and that's just, again, really inspiring um Tupac is it's a it's interesting because I've already mentioned a few of his but the one I really love of his which is probably really like everybody loves this one but it's I Mad At You um and also I really love uh, a group called SWV who I mentioned earlier I can't pick one of their their tracks because all across their career I've really loved them but um I, I love their song right here because that's the one where I kind of I got to know that's when I first heard of them that's they kind of they got into the charts I think for some people they were like a one-hit wonder in England but I thought that's a brilliant song then I got their album then I sort of 
went down a rabbit hole with them. And I saw them live for the first time last year in Vegas. Oh, wow. And it was amazing because there were still fantastic performers, like fantastic singers. Um, and that was such a joy to finally see them after all that time. You know, having listened to them like for the first time, um, gosh, I must have been again, yeah, 13, 14. And I finally got to see them aged 40. <laughs> songs you you wanted to share specifically like a particular lyric that gets you or a moment in that song that impacts you in those yeah songs. um I suppose the one that I would say is yeah the, the faith Evans keep the faith um it's gonna sound really cheesy but I'll say it anyway so the the lyric that sort of comes to mind in that one is um though I've gone through the fire um I will come out as pure gold and um Every time I sort of hear that within that song, it kind of gives me a lot of hope and strength um, because I feel like having a long-term mental illness can be quite difficult sometimes. And But it also makes me think, you know, you've gone through these difficult times, but actually they've made you stronger. there's something even now even thinking about it it, it impacts you yeah. yeah yeah music makes me music does make me emotional I remember the first time god it was so embarrassing but the first time I went to see Mariah Carey live <laughs> with my then boyfriend um I, yeah we saw her she like she walked through the crowd and I basically started sobbing and my, my boyfriend was just like oh my god <laughs> what was you know like are you all right what's going on I get very emotional about it <laughs> Because I do find it very powerful. Yeah, yeah. It really is, isn't it? It, it? it speaks to your heart. I think music speaks to you in a way that words can't, sometimes people can't reach. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's been lovely to chat and really interesting, really in-depth. Thanks so much for, yeah, for having me on. You're really welcome. But I got a lot more emotional than I thought I, thought I would, so that was, you know, fun for a Tuesday. <laughs> Uh, but yeah I think music does make me pretty emotional actually and I don't think I don't think that's anything to sort of be ashamed of or like sad about I think like in some ways you know some people like cry lots of films and things I think it's actually quite nice to have that sort of as an outlet and yeah 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 I I I really agree <laughs> um I really thank you so much for, for all your sharing and for being open and honest. I really do appreciate it and really grateful. And yeah, thank you for your time as well. I know that you're busy, so I really appreciate that too. Um, oh, 
and yeah I'll stay in touch and um it's just you now isn't it Ellen's left the mentally yours yeah so. yeah that's right yeah she she's moved over to stylist now she's um deputy editor of stylist online now so <coughs> yeah so it's just me now doing yeah. mentally yours yeah just sorting out next year's um well not next this year's gosh I'm so confused yeah so looking forward to getting more guests on mentally yours this year um yeah. If people want to find you there, they just, I mean, they can Google it, obviously, Mentally Yours podcast, which is, yeah. Yeah, so Mentally Yours is a weekly mental health podcast from metro.co.uk. You can find us on Spotify, um, on Audio Boom, and on Apple Podcasts. We also have uh, a Twitter handle, which is at MentallyYRS. Um, we also have a really nice Facebook group, which is called Mentally Yours. And that's just a space for people to chat about mental health stuff and also the podcast if they like um, as well. Mm-hmm. And is there any other way you'd like people to contact you? Any Anything you want to plug or any books you've written, anything like that? Feel free to. Oh, thank you. Um, no, not at the moment. I mean, yeah, I'd love if they could have a listen to the podcast, Mentally Yours, if they're interested. Um, but they can also find me on the usual places, so Twitter and Instagram, and Facebook and on all those I'm just at Yvette Caster. Yvette Caster okay perfect thank you so much um I'll try and play a few clips of the songs you've mentioned in there as well just to lift it up. oh thank you <laughs> yeah take care and um, speak soon and keep in touch <laughs> thanks thanks for this has been a lovely chat thanks so much take care baby look at me Mama love you And I know you ain't no little boy no more But you'll always be my baby It seems like only yesterday I was holding you in my arms Now look at you now, big man But I worry about you I worry about you all the time Hanging out on the corner all times of night with the cruel people Baby, that ain't nothing but trouble I always taught you that you could have whatever you dream. Well, I want you to hold on to that dream, baby. Hold on to it real tight. Cause the sky's the limit.